It's a WrestleMania special on the Daily Wrestling News Show. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay, now, from the beginning. This is the Daily Wrestling News powered by the Eastern Observer. My name is Ryan Joy, and I'm coming to you live from Minutes to Bell Time Studio on the beautiful Treasure Coast of the Sunshine State. And I'm joined today by the person who agreed to talk about WrestleMania 10 with me, John DeCani. John, how are you? Not bad. How about yourself? Very good, very good. I'm I'm a huge fan of WrestleMania 10. Um, I don't I don't know what it is about it, but it's one of those ones that I just watched on repeat when I was a kid. So it's kind of a transitional show. It's it's you know, we're kind of we're mostly out of the golden era of wrestling. We're not quite to the attitude era, but some of the at least the wrestling starts to look more like the attitude era. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're gonna go match by match. We're gonna talk about everything on the show, the good, the bad, and um, you know everything in between. There's a lot of good on the show, um, so we're gonna get into it. But of course. Uh, we have to start WrestleMania shows with the trivia because certainly by the end we'll have answered all the questions. So here we go. Now, one of the cool things about WrestleMania 10 is the first one that Jerry Lawler was doing the commentary work. So all of my questions today are things Jerry Lawler said on <laughs> <in> commentary. <laughs> uh, he was awesome on this show he just was on fire so uh it's the standard rules you're gonna get five questions if majority correct gets you the w if you win you get the goldberg oscar award if you lose you get a hawkins so jerry lawler in the first match he said he was hoping that Stu hart would be at wrestlemania 10 wearing his a orthopedic suit B, orthopedic tuxedo, C, orthopedic shoes, or D, orthopedic smile. Orthopedic tuxedo, I believe. That's right. That's right. Orthopedic tuxedo. <laughs> to which Vince McMahon said, his what? <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Lawler called the hearts, Stu and Helen, liars. He said he would, he would not believe them if, A, their life depended on it, B, their mouths were notarized. C, their tongues were notarized. Or if they said the sun came up in the east. Uh, their tongues were notarized? Tongues were notarized. Yep, yep. Okay, two for two on things Jerry Lawler said during WrestleMania 10. When Vince McMahon said, there's only one macho man Randy Savage, how did Jerry Lawler reply? Your choices are, thank goodness, that's too many, I love this guy. That's obvious, McMahon. Those are the four options. Uh, that's too many? Nope. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Uh, okay. So, okay. Two for three. Two for three. Okay. Uh, we were talking about the uh, Alundra Blaze here. And, he said, and McMahon says, even you have to be impressed, King. To which the King replies... I was not impressed. I'm more impressed that Fabulous Moolah is still kicking. That's option A. Option B, I was impressed, but not with the wrestling. Did you see those women? C, I was not impressed. I'm more impressed that Mae Young is still kicking. Mm. So, three choices. Mm. 
Warren Preston, Mula still kicking? Mula, yep, yep, three for four. Three for four. Okay, and where did the king say that Mabel had to be baptized? Your choices are the Atlantic Ocean, SeaWorld, Hudson Bay, or the Hudson River? SeaWorld. SeaWorld. That's right. Four for five. <laughs> Four for five. You win. All right. It's funny. That's how we normally end the show, but today we yeah. must press forward. <laughs> so very good. Four for five on WrestleMania 10 trivia. All right. WrestleMania 10, March 20th, 1994. Uh, other things that were happening in the world four days prior, Cactus Jack lost his ear. So <laughs> there's a little fun fact for uh, yeah. this time. A world away, right? He was, that happened in Germany, didn't it? Uh, was it Germany or Japan? It was not in the continental United States, that's for sure. It was definitely over over there. Um, pretty well-received show. 80% of the Wrestling Observer newsletter readers responded to the Observer poll with a thumbs up. That's pretty good for them. Uh, the actual attendance at Madison Square Garden was 18,065 fans with a gate of $960,000. Um Mania brought in less money with higher prices than the WrestleMania 9 show. Uh, the sixth place uh, on the all-time U.S. list, 10th place on the all-time WWF list. Um, the Paramount next door, they didn't sell out. They had 4,200. All in all, though, it was pretty good. Uh, total merchandise sales, 237000 That's $7 per head. So those are kind of the numbers for WrestleMania 10. Didn't really blow things out of the water as far as WrestleMania is concerned, but well attended and a good show. So, whenever they come back to MSG, you're gonna have a good show. And you know, I, I I get the feeling this is one of the rare moments where it's not 100% about the money with Vince. Like when he when he comes home to the building where his dad, you know, ran shows, it's you know he can ease off the gas just a little bit and enjoy himself. Yeah, that may be true. That may be true. And, and it is the 10th anniversary show, right? You know, from the from the WrestleMania uh, one extravagance at Madison Square Garden, and throughout the show they would show clips of WrestleMania moments, um, and so they did that right at the beginning. They showed the clips, a video package of WrestleMania one, um, and they would go back to do that time and time again. But it was kind of interesting if you paid attention to those clips, they really didn't show you any like real moments. Like it was kind of like. Um, you know, they talked about WrestleMania eight, like the awe-inspiring presence of the Undertaker, but didn't show the you know who was wrestling or anything like that. You know, <laughs> uh, so I mean, there it was. It was fine. It was good to show and pay tribute and stuff like that. But um, overall, pretty good. I would say this was a two-match show for the most part. I think people mostly point to two matches on this card as being like some of the best of all time, and we'll talk to them and, as we get going through. But uh, Vince McMahon welcomes us to WrestleMania 10. Little Richard sings America the Beautiful. As mentioned, Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Lawler on commentary. A great pairing. Um, Vince McMahon doing his normal Vince McMahon stuff. And Jerry Lawler, he was comedy gold here. Comedy gold. He just he did not let a moment breathe without throwing in a snide remark. Half of which would probably get him fired today, but uh, still quite a few of them uh, definitely got a chuckle. Yeah, the ring announcing was interesting on this show. Uh, Howard Finkel was there, um, you know, and he was he got a, he got some hair for the show. Um, but the rest of the show was announced by Bill Dunn, and as far as I know, this is Dunn's only WrestleMania, and he has a completely different sound 
doesn't he? I mean, it's it's so different. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, the, the the first match, you know, it wasn't quite so obvious yet. And as they're going through the introductions, I'm like, something just doesn't sound right here. <laughs> and then I figured they were just holding them off so they could make the, you know, big presentation with Cy Sperling. But then, you know, it still went, it, it, it went back and forth a little bit. It was a little bit of done, a little bit of fink, but you know, just it. WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, Fink. Gotta be Fink. There you go. There you go. Bill Dunn, uh, I think, definitely put a stamp on this one because when you hear – now for me, if I hear Bill Dunn, I mean, it's WrestleMania 10. That's the only, that's <laughs> the only place I can really remember his uh, particular voice being lent to the, to the show. So opening contest, John, Bret Hart versus Owen Hart. There are some people that were saying up until that point, best match in WWF history, People, some people are saying. And, you know, the, the only compare it to, to WrestleMania three with Randy Savage. So I get you, get your thoughts uh, up until that point, that, that period of time, you think it's the best? So there's certainly an argument to be made. I would, I would say so. I'm a little biased, I'm a huge uh, heart fan, I'm a huge fan of both of them. So uh, yeah, I would say yes, there, there's, and there's no argument that you can't at least make the case. Yes. So it was an interesting situation here because Bret Hart in the opening contest, he's facing off against Owen Hart. There's a storyline here, of course, the brother versus brother storyline, but Bret Hart and Lex Luger both won the Royal Rumble in 1994 um, because they, they fell out of the ring at the same time. Both feet hit at the same time. So, so Bret wrestles Owen in the, in the opening contest. Lex Luger will wrestle Yokozuna for the WWF championship later in the show. And then Brett will face the winner at the end. So both men are getting, you know, all men have the opportunity to wrestle twice on the show. So um, Dave Meltzer said of the Bret Hart versus Owen Hart match, the Hart-Hart match with Owen scoring the surprise clean win to elevate him into the upper echelon appeared when it was over to be a strong match of the year candidate and was a tad better than the legendary Ricky Steamboat, Randy Savage, WrestleMania three match, which has largely been considered the greatest match in modern WWF history because of the strong finish and every bit as good of the overall work four and three quarter stars. He gives it. Um, so, so really good rating critics. Wade Keller would give it four and a quarter stars. So people rating it at the time thought a lot of the match. Uh, and I should know, no match at this point in the history of WWF had ever gotten a five-star rating from Dave Meltzer. Okay. So um, four and three quarters is about as good as you're ever going to get in WWF. We'll circle back to that point later, though. <laughs> um, I talked about this earlier, you know, I think like last week with you about the the victory roll at WrestleMania 10 for from Owen to Brett. Surprise finish here. I think people would have thought Brett would have taken this. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And it, it, it was, it was a great technical match, yes, and yes. It, it it was, it, but it was at the same time it was weird. It definitely was ahead of its time for nineteen ninety four, uh, but th there were certain aspects of it that you 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 normally didn't see. In fact, who was just talking about this the other day? Oh, uh, when we were talking about uh, Roman Reigns tapping to Daniel Bryan. And uh, you know, whether he did or didn't, because you know, the referee didn't see it. But when Brett gets put in the sharpshooter, he slams the mat like four or five times. And, you know, I mean, and 
Hebner's right on that side of his body. It's right in front of him, but I guess he was screaming no, no, no at the time. So yeah. there's not even, you know, the, the announcers don't mention it. It's been, you know, but as I'm watching, I'm going like, wow, that, yeah, I don't know that you get away with that today. Well, times change, right? Like that's um, today. That's a that's tapping out. Back yeah. then, tapping out wasn't a thing yet at the time. I so suppose, it's like, yeah. so uh, you, you had to do an audible uh, audible give up. But very interesting, right? The fact that um, that is actually an element of of selling that they can't do anymore because that would be considered tapping out. So it's it's interesting. Um, but like you said, great match. Owen Hart, he was introduced as the Rocket Owen Hart. He came off the top for that Rocket splash. He missed. Um, but ultimately, he gets the win here, the biggest win of his career to that point for sure. Um, they would go on to feud over the summer and stuff like that. They had a cage match and everything. Great, great uh, program between Brad and Owen. Legendary program, really. Um, and we transition from that was match one. Match two. We go to a mixed tag match. Bam Bam Bigelow and Luna Vachon versus Doink and Dink. And this is where Bam Bam has to face Doink and Luna must face off with Dink. A uh, very weird match. <laughs> um, but, you know, Doink and Bam Bam, they did well together. Meltzer gave it a star in three quarters, whatever. Uh, it was kind of a breather match after that technical match that we had just watched with Brett and Owen. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this was... And not full on comedy relief, but this was a you know definitely a change of pace for sure. For sure, uh, Bam Bam uh, would get the pinfall with the diving headbutt here. So, um, and then we find that the WWF has a special guest in the audience for this show. Uh, <laughs> they have, uh, of course, this is 1994, and uh, the president of the United States at the time is Bill Clinton. And Bill Clinton's in the audience, or something like that. It's an impersonator. Uh, it's a really good likeness, though. I thought. Yeah, he uh, he's probably uh, so many people have done uh, Clinton, but uh, Tim Waters, I believe, is his name. He he's got to be amongst the best. He really really nails it. But just the ridiculousness of the whole thing, you know. And the first time they throw to it, I rewatching it. I didn't remember the fact that they went back to him multiple times. Yes. And it, it cracked me up rewatching it the first time, how they it didn't I don't think they even said the word president the first time. Oh, look who's here. And oh my God, it's amazing. And I, I, you can't believe it. And I I think they put a microphone in front of his face and he says, I'm glad to be here. What I don't know. And I'm like, oh my God, it was just so bad. <laughs> But Isn't yet, it? so good. <laughs> and, and it's funny because you think it's like tongue in cheek, like maybe they would mention that it was an impersonator or something. No, no, they sold. They were going full on. We have the president of the United States here. Yeah. <laughs> so he's in the presidential box with President Jack Tunney. <laughs> yep, yep. Come on. Um, match three. This is a match that doesn't get talked about too much, and it has really unique. Um, stipulations. It is Randy Savage versus Crush. It's false count anywhere, but the uniqueness of this is that a fall after a fall occurs, the wrestler then has 60 seconds to make it back into the ring 
before they lose. Um, it's a flawed concept because what if a pin were to happen in the ring? <laughs> um, now they practice they practice this on you know different house shows and things like that. And I guess what they would do is if they had a fall in the ring, they would roll the guy out, and then that's you know if you could get back in, you could get back in. But they even they kind of addressed that at one point because Savage rolled Crush out and then covered him at one point and whatnot. Yeah, he he, he he hits the elbow, and I'm thinking to myself. Uh, he's going to cover him right here. And then he pauses. And I'm like, why is he pausing? Oh, yeah, because if he pins him in the ring, what's the point? He yeah. just rolls him to the floor and pins him on the floor. I, I had completely forgotten about this match. And yeah. as they're as, to the point where as they're explaining the rules, it's still not ringing a bell. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and then, you know, it, it played out in front of him. And it took for Randy to lose that first fall in the entryway for me to remember, oh, okay, he's got the full 60 seconds to get back in the Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Two and three quarter stars from Dave Meltzer. I, I you know, I look back at this and I, I actually really like the concept of this falls count anywhere. 60 seconds to get back. I think it's really unique. As far as I know, they never went back to doing this again. But uh, it's, it's, like I said, it's a flawed concept, but if you can get past that whole thing part and maybe explain the rules better or say the pinfalls can't occur in the ring. I think it's kind of interesting. Maybe they'll go back yeah. to it at some point. Yeah. I mean, they, obviously they, they had something there, you know, yeah. they, they just didn't have it completely fleshed out. It felt like, and maybe Meltzer would have given it an extra quarter star. If someone had caught Randy had a tie and knot. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Just to confirm that crush couldn't make it to the ring. Uh, Randy tried to tie crush up, but <laughs> Didn't work out so well either. So Tennessee lets go of the rope. He crush almost falls on his head. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, uh, Todd Pettengale, he goes back to that presidential suite and he has he interviews our impersonator Bill Clinton. Uh, he's trying Bill Clinton says he's trying to work things out with the IRS. And of course I'm talking about Erwin R. Scheister. <laughs> so this is not the last of this show that we'll see Bill Clinton or the impersonator. IRS is very happy with the president for having raised taxes. Yes. Yeah. What <laughs> not a your normal reaction. <laughs> what a deal. <laughs> uh, IRS, that is. We're not, we're not talking politics. <laughs> uh, Alundra Blaze versus Leilani Kai in the, uh, in the fourth match for the WWF Women's Championship. Three minutes and 23 seconds. Not a long match. Um, first time we've had like a women's match on WrestleMania in quite some time, though. Yeah, probably since the last time Leilani Kai was on WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm just trying to think here. I don't think, you know, no. I mean, at, at WrestleMania 6, I think Sapphire was involved, right? So, <laughs> but it was a mixed. But, but some pretty good wrestling took place in that match for, for that era of wrestling. Uh, those two women put on a very entertaining match, albeit for less than three and a half minutes. But you know, yeah. it, it was no, it was not a mess, which you know some matches were back in that day. Yeah, it was a German, German suplex with a bridge for the win. They gave Alundra Blaze pyro, um, all sorts of things that you know you could tell from here it was going to be a long way before they could get the women's division over. They only, they didn't have a, a long list of talent and. Uh, this was kind of a bump. They really didn't get the women's division rolling here. It was, but 
like you said, Alundra Blaze, you know, she did a she did a great job. There was nothing wrong with her. It just there wasn't a, a huge body of talent to work with her over the years. So and it was it was during this match that Jerry Lawler could have been fired about seven times. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Todd Pettengill, he's got the he's got the best gig. He interviewed the president. Now he's with Rhonda Shear. I believe she's the host of Up All Night. And uh, Shawn Michaels, he interrupts the interview, and then Burt Reynolds interrupt, interrupts the interview. So, um, very weird. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, yeah, this, this was just, you know, hey, let's put some famous people on TV. And, you know, I guess, I guess, all right, so Raw didn't start until, was it that, was it January of 94 that it started? Or was it? It wasn't long after this or before this. It was around. Yeah, this time. I, I get. I guess that's the connection because she, you know, her up all night was on the USA Network, as I recall. So, gotcha. Uh, why, you know, I guess maybe Burt Reynolds just happened to be in town that week, and I don't have any idea what his connection was there. Yeah, I think I think Raw was around for a while because they the whole Hulk Hogan and Brutus Beefcase versus Money Inc. thing happened on Raw, and that was before nine. WrestleMania 9, right? Uh, yeah, well, I, I know it started on, I'm pretty sure the first episode was January the 11th, only because that is my birthday. <laughs> I just don't remember what year. <laughs> well, I will get back to you on that in a second, but the next match was Men on a Mission versus the Quebecers. What did you think of this? Uh, hold on a second. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was just looking at my notes for the Quebecers, or, or as they were originally referred to by Vince McMahon, the Mounties. Oh no, wait! <laughs> yeah, this this match was weird. It was it was kind of a mess. You know, you, you had some good wrestling by the Quebecers. You had some okay wrestling by the Men on a Mission. And when it, it, it I I still I didn't want to rewatch it just because it was not that great of a match. But I still, it was a, it ended in a count out. Yeah. But it didn't seem like it ended in a count. Like, you know, there was, there was a splash on the floor. And then all of a sudden the, you know, the bell rings. Like, I, it, there was no drama to it. There was really no, you know, uh, concentrating on the ref counting. And then men on a mission grabbed the belts and held them over their head and danced around and probably rapped a little bit more like they did in the pre show. But they weren't the champions. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, Meltzer said, given the participants, I'm speaking of men on a mission, the match didn't have much of a chance of being good. <laughs> Guess what? It wasn't, although there were a few good moves thrown in. One and a quarter star. I think the, the highlight for me is when Jacques um, backdropped Pierre out of the ring and Pierre landed on men on a mission. It was kind of a um, preview of what we'd, kind of the kind of thing we'd see from PCO as he is as his life uh, uh, altered over the course of the years. But yeah, it, you know, not a very good match, but he got the tag titles on, which is not something they do every mania. So true. true. It, you know, a lot of times, some of the things that stick out to me in doing these is when you see something that later would become a thing. Uh -huh. Like uh, I think it was uh, WrestleMania 20 that will air later this week. Um, I, and I, I don't remember if I even brought it up, but I remember watching uh, the Jericho match. And even though it's not called it and it didn't, it, we weren't even 100% sure he did it on purpose. Jericho did 
in what, in my estimation, is the first uh, in history sling blade. And oh. you know, it, it was called kind of like, oh, he just he kind of wrapped him around the neck, like he's but it, it was a sling blade, but it almost looked like a mistake as it flowed through the match. Not exactly the same thing, but here in this match, when uh, the Quebecers were able to pull off the double suplex of Big Mabel, <laughs> Johnny Polo gave a yes chant. I swear to God. <laughs> he was the head of his time, the head of his time. Johnny Polo, is, of course, he would go on to have a very different career after he dropped the, you know, the whole manager thing in WWF. He would go on to be Raven. That's it's kind of a Easter egg in, in wrestling is to think of Johnny Polo. You know, did you uh, did you watch off of Peacock or the network or what have you? I what watched. You uh, yes, it was on the network. Okay, I'm assuming you did not get the pre-show. No. Okay. Uh, just just to see whether or not things get edited out or whatnot, I always make an effort to see if I can get the oldest, most original copy I can. And I lucked out with this one and got a terrible video quality, but I got somebody's old VHS tape ripped and it included the pre-show. Wow. And, and I'm assuming this was maybe the first year they had a pre-show because there was absolutely no format. It was just, we're going to throw to Todd Pettengill and he's standing in the crowd and he hits his signature line for the day, which was mega glitz and Mondo glamour. And then he's going to throw to Johnny Polo, who's going to be backstage in front of a door, probably the same door all four times they threw to him. They just changed the sign on the door because at one point he was supposed to be outside of Rhonda Shear's dressing room. And like three times uh, a, a random referee walked out of the door. <laughs> And all Johnny Polo did was talk about how he just finished having breakfast with that uh, celebrity and what the celebrity had had for breakfast. It, it, it was like a like a college film study, like free for all. Just uh, here, we're going to give you a camera. Just go out and do something. <laughs> but yeah, the, the stark difference between that Johnny Polo and the man that I would come to know as Raven and how dark and twisted he was oh wow 180 degrees night and day it's incredible i mean you look at him and it's the same person obviously but when he's dropped the look you know the looks the personality just totally 180 it's incredible absolutely i did uh, so back in my um you know i I am most familiar with this show from watching a um a recorded pay-per-view Right, like somebody, somebody ordered the pay per view, recorded it on VHS, handed it to my mom at work, and I watched it over and over and over and over and over. So there were things that I noticed that were edited, and I and I'll get to that in a little bit because, uh, boy, boy, did I miss Tom Petty on this show. So, <laughs> so I don't know, I don't know if you know what I'm referring to, but we'll get there. <laughs> um, so the first WWF Championship match of the night, Lex Luger versus Yokozuna. Uh, you've got celebrities galore. Donnie Wahlberg's out to introduce the special guest uh, referee. It's Mr. Perfect. <laughs> uh, what you th- I mean, this match, not the most well-received by the critics. Uh, you know, okay, I get what they were going for here. I get they were, you know, the, the end result was going to be perfect and a screwing Lex Luger. 
but it, it just it, it, it they just they put it together poorly i think yeah and, well, uh, luger's not the strongest um you know worker right he's very impressive a lot of great things about him but he's never really been had the reputation as like the best you know workhorse type of guy I'm not going to do fancy moves and things like that and then yokozuna you know it's the you watch the icon documentary they'll they'll tell you you know he's he's ballooning at this point he's losing some mobility and things like that um it's not doesn't come across as bad in the last match with brett because it's brett but here, you know, you, you do have like long nerve holds. And um, I understand that we couldn't really hear it on the on the screen. But if you were there during the match, a lot of boring chants and things like that, um, which you can understand because Yoko would hold Luger in that like nerve hold on the ground for a long time. And, um, you know, Madison Square Garden audience is not that forgiving. So <laughs> half a star from Dave. Yeah, I, I can see it. <laughs> I, the, I think the, the funniest thing about this was uh, during the, the hype package uh, leading into it, how excited Lex Luger was to win the coin toss and choose to fight first. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> do you now, do you remember? Cause I don't what Lex Luger's alternative would have been who he would have wrestled if he didn't wrestle Yoko. I don't know that it was talked about, uh, during the show and i certainly don't remember the storyline leading up to it yeah i can't remember the story i know i think that there was one and i think there was an opponent identified but i don't remember who it was so uh too bad for yeah he was very excited to fight yokozuna first i'm not sure why that would be <laughs> oh boy i won the coin toss i won't main event <laughs> <laughs> well he could have if he won if he hey. won you know? um the next match Harvey Wimpleman is in the ring with the Fink. This is an earthquake versus Adam Bomb. This match, by the way, Adam Bomb. Uh, Harvey Wimpleman started harassing the Fink. This is after the Fink makes his debut with his new hair and everything like that. Uh, you know, Spy Sperling does the intro. Uh, but anyway, the Har Harvey rips the Fink suit. Adam Bomb comes down to further bully. Then earthquake comes down. It's an immediate defeat. Thirty-five seconds. Earthquake, you know, with his uh, just, I mean, I've already talked longer than the match went. So. <laughs> I think the longest part of the match was Earthquake jumping around at a bomb before he hit the Earthquake splash, you know, giving him the, the, the tremors ahead of time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So not much to, not much to go on about there, but um, Razor Ramon versus Shawn Michaels in a ladder match comes up next. Um, this is the first ever five-star WWE match rated by Dave Meltzer. So there you go. Um, incredible match. Um, I'm curious your thoughts. Like if you just recently watched this, right? Um, yesterday to prepare for this show. Um, we've seen so many ladder matches since this one set the stage. I don't think you could go back now and say it's the best mat ladder match of all time. Um, given what we've had since, but it set the stage for everything that we've seen. Yes, yeah, there, there was, you know, there was, th there's a lot more that they do nowadays, but there was at least the genesis of all of that here. You know, using the ladder as a weapon. Uh, you know, at one point, Sean uh, rides it from the top turnbuckle to basically splash razor. Uh, it's used outside. It's used, you know, 
uh, Sean is slingshotted into it, uh, which takes him over the the top rope and uh, to the floor. Uh, yeah, there, there was a little bit of everything, other than maybe you know uh, putting it over his throat to make sure he couldn't get up. You know, there's just about everything that you see in a ladder match today, even though they take it to the nth degree. Now it all started here, and this was indeed just a fantastic match. Um. You know, the the one of the things that I think was so great about this is Shawn Michaels and his selling, right? Like, man, was he good. I just, I just, from the moment the match started, like, I could just feel his pain the whole time. He was incredible, incredible. Um, do you think Shawn, does Shawn get most of the credit for this, or do you think Razor gets an equal share? I, I, I think when you talk about this match, you always say, you know, Sean and Razor, you always say, when you say the ladder match, you think Sean and Razor. So I think he does he does get a fair amount of the credit. And I think it's it's credit that's due. Because yeah. in re-watching it, I forgot, you know, you think of uh, of uh, you know, Ray, uh, Scott Hall now, and you think of, you know, the, the bad times. And it, it I forgot how good he was you know there early on in this match he is stiff he is quick he is crisp with all his moves and i think uh, you know when i think of him unfortunately most of my memories are the later days of wcw where he had become such a mess it even made its way into a storyline and here he was a guy with you know an incredible physique you know larger you know taller than the average guy but not that body of a giant he still had a I mean, an amazing he had like a nfl linebackers body but you know an nba power forwards height yeah so here's a guy who absolutely should have been a main eventer and you see in this ladder match exactly why that should have been the case had he not been his own worst his own worst enemy right and, and you know he you know, he eventually would let, would leave WWE and go over to WCW, which probably put a pin in any chances he had to climb any any further. But he would he would hold that Intercontinental title quite a lot. When you think of Razor Ramon, I think you think mostly of that title. Even though he came in working toward the top, he was mostly in that Intercontinental title picture. Um, Dave Meltzer says, if you haven't seen this match, make sure you do. It'll be remembered for many years. Watch how ladder matches now become the hottest gimmick on the indie scene. I would argue they became the hottest gimmick. Period. Like, forget the <laughs> scene. They were the hottest gimmick, you know, going. Uh, and then Wade Keller says, this was one of the better matches you will ever see, thanks to the greatness of Michaels and the near perfect, perfect steady performance by Razor, uh, which is kind of what you just said, you know, in terms of his, you know, his, his work, Ramones I'm talking about. So incredible. I thought the conclusion of this match was actually, was like a very challenging thing to plan out you've got michaels climbing the ladder razor basically does like a, a shoulder tackle into the ladder to knock the ladder over and as the ladder is falling michaels has to make it look believable that he like is falling in such a way where he not only crotches himself on the ropes but then ends up getting tangled in the ropes and then well he's tangled up in the ropes and tied up Razor then sets up the ladder and does, you know, the not so quick walk to the top and Michaels is flailing in the ropes and he almost gets out and then ties his arm into the ropes. <laughs> and if, if, if he had, 
if he had messed that one little piece up, there was there were so many places for error with Michaels on this, but if he had messed that up, he would have been standing in the ring watching Razor get the belts. Right. <laughs> so like they would have had to do something else. So I thought when I watched this, I'm like, oh my God, the margin for error on this finish was just so, so tiny and they pulled it off. So excellent. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it's one of those things where there, there are certain guys in the history of wrestling. Yeah, there's lots of guys who have put on good matches, guys who put on great matches. And now I am not a Shawn Michaels fan at all. But he is essentially unparalleled in his in-ring work. You know, even at the height of him being a cancer in the backstage, yeah. his in-ring work, impeccable, all, nearly 100% of the time. I can't remember a bad match you know, prior to him shaving his head that uh, he's ever had. So, you know, there are just certain guys, you know, in the, the very first Money in the Bank match, there was, uh, you know, uh, a spot where Chris Jericho had fallen at the base of the ladder. And I think the, the ladder was, was bent a little bit. So whoever was climbing, it was a very wobbly climb. And Jericho was supposed to be unconscious, basically hooked the ladder and, you know, helped him out there. There are just certain guys that are just such pros you feel you know they're going to go out there they're going to handle their business they're going to do the right thing and of anyone in the company who could have pulled that move off that and he i don't think he was quite as close to the ropes as maybe their original setup was supposed to be because Agreed. he really had to do a split to get his leg to get himself crotched yes so you know and you know he, he pulled it off because otherwise like you said it would have not only would it have been awkward they would have maybe they would have run it back and done something else to get him tied up. Was, the match had already gone way too long. Mm -hmm. There was supposed to be a, a buffer match in between this and the main event that wound up getting canceled. And if you, if you listen to some of the stories that are often told, the timekeeper was, you know, in the referee's ear, they were told to go home like five minutes earlier than they did. And they were just, they just kept going. The two of them just decided they were going to keep going. And, you know, well, we benefited for it because the match was fantastic, but you know that could have been another delay there. Yeah, and probably at the time, the producers are probably losing their mind and all ticked off. But you know, and and too bad for Jeff Jarrett and all those guys that didn't get on the show in that ten man tag that they had to cancel. Yeah, because they didn't get the one, two, three kid and Sparky plug. Darn it! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh. But yeah, I mean, in hindsight, nobody in WWE is looking back at this and saying, man, if we only got that 10-man tag, you know? So, but incredible performance by both guys. Um, one of the best matches in history. Like I said, five stars from both Keller and Meltzer. So, uh, you know, I say it's one of the best matches of all time, and so do they. So that's pretty good. <laughs> so I would have to agree. Uh, so then, in a complete tragedy, um, yes, we lost the 10-man tag. That wasn't the tragedy I was speaking of, but we lost that. And then the other tragedy is WWE removed Tom Petty's Making Some Noise music from the Bret Hart video package. If you were to watch on Peacock or on the WWE Network, that was that was the music they put to Bret Hart, you know, going through the dungeon and the video package they hold it. Uh, and it was it was great. I have fond memories of it. And then I turn. I, when they, the, the thing they have on there now is sorry to whoever put it together, but it's lame as crap. <laughs> it's like not good. So, uh, sorry guys, but 
try to go try to go back and find that original video package uh, to watch that Bret Hart thing. That's pretty good. Yeah, but, uh, yeah I got lucky. I, I I had a feeling that that might actually be uh, before before. I mean, you did a fantastic job with the Lawler trivia. But yeah. like, there are certain things as I go along here. I went and you know, I went and looked up who the uh, the Bill Clinton impersonator was. I went and made sure I had the the, the proper name of that song in the hype package. And I said, okay, that's obviously Tom Petty. I don't recognize the song a hundred percent because I'm not a huge Petty fan. But I better make sure I know what the name of that song is. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you prepared that for that. And I, here I am, like watching. I'm rewatching matches to find a Jerry Lawler quote. <laughs> <laughs> and you're doing the, the good work of, of researching the ins and outs of the people and stuff. So, man. So we don't have that video package, but we do get the match. And Bret Hart, of course, he gets the win, a refreshing, clean ending. Um, Meltzer gave it only two and a quarter stars. Keller gave it three. But the story here really is Bret Hart gets the win over Yokozuna. Bret Hart is it's this Incredible celebration. Everybody's in the ring. All the baby faces come out of the locker room. You got Razor Ramon in there. You got Randy Savage in there. Roddy Piper is already there because of the referee situation, which I didn't even mention. Burt Reynolds is the ring announcer. He announces Roddy Piper as the referee. Um, but Brett gets the W here. And what happens at, at the end of the show, basically, is you've got Brett in the ring with the World Wrestling Federation Championship hoist up in the air and in the ramp is Owen Hart, the man who beat him to open the show. And that just sets us on for the next several, you know, several big matches, Brett and Owen. Yeah. Owen just looking absolutely disgusted, shaking his head halfway down the, the entryway there. And yeah, just a, they got a couple of good shots, you know, over each uh, person's each brother's shoulder uh, looking down at the other one. It was, it was a, yeah, the, there's a lot of pay-per-views and even manias that just kind of end with, you know, a celebration in the ring or whatnot. That, that was a really great, you know, it a great, great way to start the show and heck of a way to end the show because you knew you were headed for, you know, a summer of, uh, you know, heart versus heart. Yeah. I mean, the first nine WrestleManias, you had Hogan posing pretty much at the end, um, <laughs> except for six, I guess. And yeah, just six, I think. Um, but you didn't have a locker room empty like that to to celebrate with Brett. So I, you know, it really was crowning Brett as the guy going forward, and yeah, it set up beautifully the uh, the feuds going forward. And I and I want to mention that I've talked a couple times on this show how Meltzer was stingy with those star ratings in WWF, and uh, Brett Hart versus Owen Hart at SummerSlam later that year would get another five star. So. There you go. Two in one year from, from Uncle Dave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was like a 13-year gap coming up, like between. <laughs> so uh, I think it went from uh, the Bret Hart, and, Bret Hart and Stone Cold match for years after that, <laughs> before there was another one or something. So, okay. Final thoughts. Um, this is reading from uh, the Observer Newsletter. Shawn Michaels put on one of the greatest individual performances in the history of the business at WrestleMania 10 in Madison Square Garden to highlight what the consensus is, the best pay-per-view show in WWF history. Michaels, in one of his last shows with the company before and going on 
what is planned to be a several month long sabbatical put on a performance that left just about everyone in wrestling in awe with his ladder match against Razor Ramon. That match, probably the best match ever on a WWF pay-per-view show, somehow overshadowed one of the greatest matches in WWF history between Brett and Owen that opened the show and a WWF title change with Brett's later regaining the championship from Yokozuna, an average match in the evening's finale. The heart-heart match with Owen scoring the surprise clean win to elevate him into the upper echelon appeared when it was over to be a strong match of the year candidate. It was a tad better than the Ricky Steamboat-Randy Savage match, which is largely considered the best match in modern history. So, um, you know, like I said before, a two-match show, really, with those two great big matches, um, Shawn Michaels and Razor, they get kind of the the nod for really making this WrestleMania. But that story of Brett and Owen really, really dominated this time period, I think. Um, and Shawn Michaels would go on to, there was a lot of question in, in all the news that you read at the time, whether this was going to be Shawn's taking a sabbatical, whether Shawn was going to be leaving the company and going someplace else. People really didn't know. But, man, with that performance, they – they had to figure something, some contract. Yeah. Now they couldn't let him go walking away someplace else. So certainly not. No. Yeah. This. This. What. What a show. Yeah. You know. It. It. It certainly. It had its down moments, but that was because again, this was, you know, not as I said earlier in the show, uh, and I'm sure plenty of people have said, you know, not quite the attitude eerie yet. So there still was a little bit of that goofiness, but you know, you had. Uh, the, the, the main event wasn't a fantastic match, but it was a world title change. It was Bret Hart. It was Yokozuna, this monster beast. And then you had those two just one completely technical, the other one completely spectacular because it was the first of its kind, but just a heck of a card. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to answer our question of whether we think the show holds up here in a second. But first, let me tell people about a couple of uh, a couple of great things, including this cool shirt, Bell Time Club, available now at BodySlamClothes.com. Uh, it's a great shirt. It's uh, it's running actually twenty two dollars. I know this graphic says twenty, but it's twenty two because there's some extra uh, graphic work on it. But it comes in the super soft style, and there's no upcharges for anything else. Uh, it's uh, you know. No matter what size, no matter what color you want, it is $22. And then on the primetime rundown, join Joey Jarzenka, Ian Schreier, and Rob DeLuca on Friday nights for the primetime rundown. They take you through the world of sports. Show kicks off at 6 p.m. on the Eastern Observer. And I want to let you know about the Essential Wrestling Podcast. It airs every Tuesday. Al Carl hosts. Uh, John DeCani is there. I'm there. John Smith and Gary Mahaffey, we all get together, go through the updates and highlights of the world of wrestling every Tuesday at 6 p.m. And this show, the Daily Wrestling News Show, is every day, Monday through Thursday at 10 a.m. So tune in wherever you're watching this show. So, John DeCani, does this WrestleMania hold up? Yes, I think uh, again it it, ha- it had its low lights, uh, the kind of stuff that you would never see on a show today. It had its goofiness, but overall, uh, like I said earlier, I, I think this was a pivotal show. Yeah. This was a, kind of the birth of the the next era that would be the Attitude Era, and uh, I, I think uh, you can't have two all time matches on a card like this and say that, you know, they almost alone don't elevate this card to 
relevancy. So I, yeah, was, I, I mean, I agree. Like when I look back at this, this show, um, yeah, maybe you, maybe you skip a match here and a match there. Um, but those two matches that make this show great. Now, when you watch the Sean and Razor match today, do you say to yourself, oh, that's the best, one of the best ladder matches I've ever seen? You probably don't. But, but if you watch it with the historical eye and you, you, know, you give it that, the credit it deserves as being like sort of the first of its kind, and I think you, I think it wins its heart, you know, gets, find a place in your heart for it. So absolutely, um, incredible match. Well done. Um, if you didn't like it, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> That's WrestleMania 10. John, any, any final thoughts before we close the books on WrestleMania 10? <laughs> no, I, I just, uh, once again, I think I said this, uh, before we did, or at the end of when we did WrestleMania 4. Thank you for you know giving me that shove. And again, you didn't have to twist my arm too much for pushing me towards rewatching this one because uh, it was a joy. Yeah, that's right. And as uh, as Bill Clinton would agree with the Million Dollar Man, everybody has a price. <laughs> we'll see you next time, folks. Thank you very much for watching. <laughs>